Hello guys and welcome back to another episode of Inside Bristol Live, a weekly podcast that takes you behind the headlines and inside your local newsroom. I'm your host Alex Ballinger. I'm sat here today with the producer Matt. Hello, Hello Matt, how you doing? You alright? I'm good. It's a sad day. So it's a- it, I started that really sort of enthusiastically, yeah. really happily. But Too actually, much enthusiasm. I'm crying inside. This is my last ever full hosting of Inside Bristol Live. Yeah, you're, go- you're going, leaving. I'm leaving. You're leaving us. I'm abandoning the podcast. This will just become an empty store cupboard again. Next next week's going to be tricky because there's just going to be silence for the first yeah. introduction. People have got to We're not replacing They've got to think up their own questions. <laughs> yeah. People have just got to do it in their head yeah. and yeah. then we'll start we'll the put interview. Out a half hour. The interviews will be really silence. tricky. Yeah. It's going to be absolute chaos. Because the other thing is, well, there's going to be no one to run around and grab the reporters. So the reporters will be like, yeah, I'll be on the show and then just not turn up. There's, I, th- I hear there is a fight in the office you know to I've, replace you. Yeah, maybe we'll hear a little bit about this later on. But I, as far as I understand it, there is some competition and it's not entirely clear who is going to take over the mantle. It's big boots to fill as well, you know? I feel like we should do some sort of competition, like a salt course yes. or like, yeah, and like whoever that. wins. Yeah, like Ninja Warrior yeah. become a podcaster. Yeah. yeah, the prize is you get to do a small podcast or in we Bristol. Should, or we should really embarrass all of our reporters by making them put together their own podcast. You know, those competitions where they're like, yeah, you, whoever's can, the best. you can get a, a grant to make your own podcast if you send us your podcast. Yeah, so again, maybe we'd do that. Do 50 minutes of their own idea of them talking to themselves. Send us in a two minute clip of you talking to yourselves, <laughs> interviewing um, yourself. Yeah. Um, so we should probably explain why I'm not going to be doing this anymore. Yeah, let's. I just can't be bothered anymore. No, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I, that's what I thought. <laughs> I haven't told anyone this. I just, it's quite a lot of effort. It's quite a lot of extra work that I've got to put in to do this podcast. So I can't be bothered. So much extra so work. So much extra work. No, sadly, I am leaving Bristol Live. And you're going to become a professional cyclist. I'm becoming a professional cyclist. That's the end goal. I'm just trying to get into the position where I can force my way in without actually having the skill. So. But what you're going to write about cyclists. I'm going to write about bike racing. I really love road cycling and racing so I'm going to go right about the Tour de France and racing and all that stuff are you going to, do you think you're going to get to go and stuff I, I hope, really hope so I'm hoping there's opportunities to to get you know what modern journalism's like it's, it's less travelling about on the extravagant expenses paid trips than it used to be but I'm really hoping that I get to go and watch some bike racing see some cool stuff and talk about people moving their legs around in circles quite a lot I've actually got a friend that owns a, a cycling a bicycle cycling I don't know what the technical <laughs> what terms are uh, a, a, like company team type thing really uh, yeah called Glorious yeah Matt Stansbury yeah yeah no, I know of him my dad knows. I went to uni with him did you yeah yeah he's quite a big deal he gets a lot of free stuff yeah, yeah, he's yeah. he's he's grown it quite quite a lot in the last few years. Yeah, I can get you some sweet get, quotes, get me in with mate. Him. Yeah, give me some, <laughs> give me some sweet stories of that dude. Yeah, <laughs> we got on with a bit of a tangent. I know. Uh, sorry, I'm, just, I'm helping you with your new job. Yeah, yeah, it's just my nature. I'm, I'm currently getting paid to do the job that I haven't yet started <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> by my previous employer. So, who, what are we doing today? Who's so on what the show? We, right? So. We are going to be speaking, first of all, to our reporter, Christian Davis, who is going to be talking about parking. It's going to be talking about parking. 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 Look, I know, right. You, it sounds boring, but actually. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're making it. It's a big you're, deal. You're looking at me like I've just said we're going to be talking about crumpets. I mean, I would like to talk about crumpets. Yeah, crumpet section. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be we just tack that on the end? You know, I really love this because parking stories are bread and butter for local journalists like there's so many different angles there's so much you can do i remember when um remember the poisoning of the russian spy in salisbury yeah. the, the local newspaper managed to get a front page story about 
how parking was affected by this international spy intrigue. Who hasn't been affected by not being able to park? Exactly. Yeah. We've all tried, well, some people haven't, but we've all tried to park. Cyclists. Cyclists. And I don't think Chris actually is affected by cars because he doesn't drive. But apart from that, so we're going to talk about parking. We've got some pretty funny stories that involve cling film and eggs. Yeah, they're funny. And there's a bunch of bunch of stuff that's happened in the past as well. Yeah, that's loads. loads. It's, all, it's all kicking off at the parking. Mm. And then next up on the show, we are going to be speaking to two of our most enthusiastic and two of our you know most experienced members of the team. We'll be talking to Beth and Evans, who is one of our content editors and everyone's favourite who's on the show every week. It's the <laughs> seems like that. It seems like yeah. it. In our regular slot this week, we've got... Michael Young doing the Michael Young show, which is within our podcast. Yeah. But he has actually been writing about another massive story. It just seems like every single one of his stories is huge and goes everywhere and is always worth talking about. So it's always worth getting him back on the show. Yeah. And we've already had that conversation and it was dead interesting. It, it was, was really, really yeah, good. Yeah. It was really, really interesting. Yeah. So um, that's a massive story about Islamophobia, basically, and mm. perceptions of freedom of speech and things like that. So m- wide ranging conversation. It's really, really good. And then finally, slight change of tone in this week's show, but we're going to be talking to What's On reporter Grace Earl, who was covering the Bristol Balloon Fiesta, which is one of the biggest events in Bristol. It kind of is synonymous with, you know, balloons are synonymous with Bristol now, I think, when people associate hot air balloons with a place, it is always going to be Bristol. But this year's event was, I won't say plagued, I feel like that's a little bit too strong, but it was, it had a bit of a nightmare with the weather. Battled with the Battled weather. Battled with the weather. Yeah. And there was only one of the mass ascents that went off. So it was sort of a slightly toned down affair. But Grace did a really fantastic job of covering all the different angles of everything that was going on. So we'll talk to her about how that event went. And before we get started, don't forget, we are on Twitter at IBL Podcast. And we are also on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search Inside Bristol Live. And please subscribe to us. Give us a rate. Give us a review. All of that good stuff. Um, is that everything? I think that's everything. I think that's everything. We've rambled on for long enough. We just need to get on with it. Let's get on with it. Right, here's our first conversation with Krish. Uh, Krish, you can give us your name and um, the job title that you would like to have. Uh, <laughs> I was actually going to say that. Uh, <laughs> I'm news reporter and future presenter of uh, the IBL podcast. That's not technically true yet, but... Yeah, I'm away next week. But. <laughs> so we'll we, be soon. This, this does make sense because we've introduced my departure and Chris will be taking over definitely one of the future episodes. Yeah. As, as like holiday cover. You're basically my substitute teacher for the podcast. Yeah. And everyone will be running. Yeah. And then it's still up in the air though, isn't it? Do you reckon you'll take over full-time hosting duties? We'll see. I'm going to see how it goes next week. Yeah. <laughs> it's a slight side eye towards me. Like, I don't think, I don't know if Matt wants me. But, and, and there are people who are definitely better at it than me, but I still want to do it. You've got to give it your all. Yeah. You've got to jump in both feet. That has never yeah. stopped me both from feet head first. Yeah. I mean, Talent, yeah. ability, and skill has never clearly, stopped you. Clearly been irrelevant because I've been hosting this podcast for about four no. months. What I think is great is, is having someone from Bristol or like the surrounding area hosting it. And obviously you guys are both from around here. And I think that from helps reindeer. a lot. We are from reindeer. Yeah. Whereas I'm from the home counties <laughs> and moved to Bristol because I think it's cool. I think, I think you're the poshest person we've had on this podcast, no, actually. No way. Do you think? <laughs> Do you think? Esme's way posher. Yeah, but she's from Thornbury though. Yeah, she's from she's putting it. She's putting it on. Damn. Yeah. And you live, um, you live near a brewery in, in, in Montpellier. <laughs> I live in St. Paul's actually. That's worse. It's rough and ready. Not the bit you live in, though. 
No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we are here to talk. I'm really excited about this conversation. I'm, bu- I'm buzzing. I, I know Chris, you're less enthusiastic about it. What, what, what are we talking about? We're here to talk about parking. Oh, uh, parking, yeah. See, see, <laughs> you're, come on, man. Already off to a bad start. Yeah, no, no. Oh, I'm, yeah, no, no, no. I'm ready to talk about it, yeah. These are your stories as well. Yeah. you got to be pitching better stories, man. Uh, the, it's it's interesting stuff. So do you want, do you want me to just go into it? Yeah, go on. Tell, yeah, us about yeah, the most, so, tell us about the one from earlier this week, because that's what kickstarted this whole conversation. Yeah, so earlier this week, um, so basically on Monday morning, we had been sent a picture of a car parked near Bristol, uh, yeah, Bristol Airport. Um, and it had been wrapped in cling film, eggs had been chucked at it, and uh, notes had been left on the windscreen saying, if you can afford to go on holiday, you can afford to pay for parking. Which is a good point, I think. When I saw yeah. that sign, I was like, that's a decent <laughs> point, actually. <laughs> it's a very valid point. But, I mean, we don't know necessarily who left the car. That's that's one of the things. Um, we kind of raised it from the angle that, yeah, it had been left there. And people, I don't want to say residents, it might be residents, but people who've come across the car parked there when it's it had been there for a week, I think. And uh, if it's obviously been left there while someone's gone on holiday, they've jumped to the conclusion that um, it's someone who's decided to leave it there because they don't have to pay for parking, gone off on holiday and are expecting to just come back to it. But having said that, it is two miles from the airport. So I'm assuming they haven't just left it there and walked for like 40 minutes to get to the airport. And this wouldn't be the first time that someone had tried to dodge the parking fees at Bristol Airport. Exactly. Would it? You know, people yeah. will pretty much do anything to yeah. get out of paying yeah. a bit extra on their holiday. So what I th- think the issue is here, in, and we've covered it before, there are a number of unauthorised car parks around the airport in the villages around there. Um, So what tends to happen is people will leave their cars at the lot with these people who run these companies thinking that their car will be kept in this secure lot that will kind of look full, probably a bit over full. And then the second their back is turned or they've been taken to the airport by bus or something, by minibus, um, someone will drive their car out to a field or one of these lanes and just leave it there for the duration of the holiday until they get a call from the owner saying they've landed again. Then they'll go and get it, drive it to them. Um, and the owner would just kind of assume that, that the car's been in the safe lockup the whole time. Um, so yeah, last year this led to one field. And I, I just have no idea. I'm hoping to get a bit more clarification from um, North Somerset Council bit later today but just how they get away with it it's mental so a field last year ended up having 500 cars in it and just a random field in north somerset was it yeah um i don't know if there's any any dodgy deals done between people who own the fields or the and the people operating these car parks to kind of divide whatever money they're making but um yeah, the pictures are pretty nuts. It's just a field full of cars. Just <laughs> didn't look right. And if you go on Google Maps or like Google Earth and look at that area, you see these fields and there's like loads of them in the surrounding area just full of cars and you just can tell that it's not completely legit. I suppose if some of the confusion comes in that there's a lot of different ways that you can park, isn't there, when you go to the airport. You can use the official car parking, you know, that is provided by the airport, but then there are legitimate companies that do own land and use them as car parks and they'll, you know, basically valet your car for you. They'll park it for you, bring it back to you, and it will be safe and secure in land that they own. But then in between that as well, there's always going to be someone in such a lucrative market as parking. You wouldn't expect it to be like a such yeah. a such a, you know, growth area for, for businesses, but 
there's always going to be someone that tries to bend or break the rules, isn't there, really? Yeah. I mean, I have no idea how much the, uh, the official parking costs at the airport, but you can almost guarantee that even if you're undercutting it slightly, you're still making a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I can imagine. I, well, yeah, I don't know. But it definitely costs a lot to park at the, I think it's Silver Zone or whatever it is. Um, that is one of the ways airports make a lot of money, isn't it? But You've been chasing something today as well, haven't you, which then ties on from this, basically ties into it. Which is yeah, story. yeah. So today I have been looking to a story about a car that was just basically crashed and abandoned and had its number plates removed in one of these lanes near the airport. Um, and the picture is quite a good picture. It's it's Friday now, officially. We're recording on Wednesday, but you will have seen the story on Wednesday, hopefully. Um, and the car, yes, yeah, is crashed and completely blocking Green Lane, which is in um, Red Hill near the airport. Um, and yeah, so the number plates had disappeared and no one was with the car when it was found. Um, the police were called and removed it the next morning. Um so it happened at some point, either overnight or very early on Saturday, the 11th. Uh, but yeah, it's just bizarre. So completely abandoned, number plates removed. It's just very suspicious, doesn't look good. I mean, you can kind of assume it was maybe involved in some sort of crime. But what people around there think is that um, this is potentially a car that has been uh, given to one of these park uh car park operators believing with the customer believing that they're legit and then um the car's been driven off by the car park operator uh so like someone we've spoken to said they tend to drive pretty quickly around there i don't know if that's true or not um but apparently something like this has happened before and then yeah so while the car's in their possession they've crashed it probably freaked out i don't know if this is the like general policy when they when they crash um and just done a runner and left it for someone else Covered, tried to cover their tracks by taking the plates and yeah, stuff as yeah. well so taking the plates god knows what will happen to those someone's on it's not holidays. exactly it's, not exactly foolproof is it because someone's going to get back and realize they haven't got a car anymore yeah, exactly. you know? the owner is always going to go back there if if this is what has happened um they're, <laughs> they're gonna be they're just, gonna make the call find out their cars but being the the front of the car is completely wrecked, but I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely not foolproof. But I doubt I doubt there's paperwork in place to be able to prove that they. You the you're assuming there. that they wouldn't run away if they had you know like the legitimate paperwork in or, place, or perhaps by the time the people come back, if it is people on holiday, by the time they come back maybe the car park's gone <laughs> yeah you know that it could be that the case of the phone mysteriously isn't on anymore that they would give yeah. in to vote to call and the mm. car park's not there or maybe maybe people have just come back from holidays and have just forgotten their car got a taxi home and then just got about their lives not realizing <laughs> and then it'll be fine just don't tell anyone and yeah. they won't realize but this is something that happens uh, in other places as well. One of, one of the papers I worked on before I was here was over near Heathrow. And I did this amazing story that left me completely dumbfounded. I was like, how has this happened? But basically, a dodgy parking firm, a private parking firm, nothing to do with the with Heathrow Airport. They were saying, yeah, we'll park your car. Just leave us with keys and the car. We'll take it and park it somewhere for two weeks. Be safe, secure. And then we'll bring it back to the end of your holiday. And then these people coming back from the end of their holidays 
the car was driven back to them. They get in it, go home, having a lovely time. Yeah, it was a nice holiday. And then a couple of weeks later, they get a letter through saying, you've been parked in a co-op car park for two weeks and we're going to fine you for it because it was like automated number plate recognition. And what had happened is this firm had been taking people's cars, parking them in a co-op car park, just a regular co-op car park, leaving them there for two weeks and then just taking them back to people. And then obviously they got the massive fines. And yeah, they were being investigated. Is that by the policy? They, just, they, don't, they don't get them towed or anything? It seemed to be the case. Yeah, they wouldn't, they wouldn't raise... They'd rather they like let raise. it sit there and incur more. I suppose more so, yeah, right. Because I guess there's a lot of money to get it towed and things like that. And yeah. if it's automatic parking you know but the funny thing is that there must have been wardens that had gone round at some point and maybe stuck a sticker on the car or something like that and the, they must have just taken them straight this company must have just pulled them off and be like yeah there goes your car back yeah i mean it's a short-term business plan yeah so that, that's yeah. what i reckon happened with the the car that was wrapped in cling film although everyone's kind of like jumped to the conclusion that it was it was left there by someone who's then walked 40 minutes to get their flight which i can't really believe i think it's been left there because they they either choose to leave them in the field or just like anywhere in these lanes because there are no road markings and if the car's like road um, road legal then it's, there's nothing illegal about it um and and yeah so now that person's going to come back and find their car a bit of a mess yeah that's a good point that it could have been someone that left there car with a business that they thought were a trusted business you know they've paid them the money and everything they expected it to be in secure parking and they've got a cling film egg covered car now with signs over it and stuff i mean that's yeah it's certainly one way to deal with it isn't it <laughs> not encourage let's wrap it in cling we film. do not encourage this yeah, at all yeah. that's, it seems it seems like an odd uh route to take yeah the sign is i mean i've i've had signs left on my car before someone there, uh, yeah. someone someone there. <laughs> Have you ever left a, a passive aggressive sign on a car? No, I'm not a passive aggressive note lever. I really hate it. Honestly, like, it's some, the most satisfying thing. You know, when you go to someone's house, <laughs> what if like, you saw like hot dogs in a car? Are you talking yeah, police, now? Are you talking about the snack or the? Yeah. <laughs> I, I want really some. want those hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I would say I call, am peckish. <laughs> call the police as the guidance there, isn't it? Because I mean, True. you leave you leave a passive aggressive note on the. Well, it depends yeah. how fast the police can get there. The dogs die. Well, I mean, I'm not going to leave a passive-aggressive note saying you shouldn't have let your dogs die in the car. And neither should, have, uh, should I have yeah, let I shouldn't have Yeah, I shouldn't have left this note saying... But if you call the police, it only takes like 20 minutes for, for a dog to die in a car. That's true, yeah. Like, yeah. it's not... It's real quick. So if you see a hot... That's why the, the guidance is, I think you're allowed to smash the window. We've got a story about this somewhere, I think, haven't we? Yeah. We should, I, don't know before, that's, I don't we... know if that's true, but that's, the, that's what, what I hear... On, on the grapevine everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So we had a the story a few weeks ago where we, we me, it uh, wasn't you, Alex Wood and Joe Smith and Michael Young were out for lunch. We left Alex <laughs> in the office because we don't invite him. To I don't do invite him to, to the newsroom yeah. lunches anymore. <laughs> I just want a falafel. <laughs> falafel? <A> falafel. <laughs> I would just like an avocado falafel. Just want an avocado falafel. <laughs> That's my impression of you, Chris, from the home counties. Okay, Under pale ale. I do like both of those, all three of those things. Fine. Anyway, <laughs> I know you do as well. So it's it's a, an empty argument. But um, yeah, so we're walking to lunch and we literally passed the car that had, there was a, an incident, an ongoing incident where there were three dogs that were too hot stuck in the boot um, and the owner had gone off somewhere and there was a police officer on the scene, um, but eventually he kind of just stood back and let someone else smash the window. So I'm guess I think 
the guy who smashed the window was very clear with the police officer. He was like, is it okay if I do this? Like, you're not going to do anything if I do this, are you? And the police officer in front of loads of people said, no. <laughs> so and then, he, then arrested he, him straight away after. Yeah. Like, ah, I got that one. <laughs> that one's in the books. Yeah. So he went ahead and did it. Um, but yeah, that, that car had a, a passive aggressive sign on it. I guess that was like the first step in case they came back quickly. But um, they were gone for, it felt like an eternity because obviously a crowd started to gather when there's police just stood there. Um, and I find it yeah. strange that the police didn't intervene and do it. Yeah. 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 So I asked him and he was like, so they had a parking ticket, uh, a, yeah, a parking ticket that was soon to run out. So for some reason he was waiting until that had expired to, <laughs> it was giving them. So I think he assumed that maybe they would come back yeah. knowing that their parking ticket was about to expire. So, but you would have had no idea how long the dog had been in the car. Exactly, yeah, it's more about how long the dog yeah. been in the car, mm. right? But he was more worried about his illegal, line of thinking. He was like, "Oh, if they come back, then I don't need to." If they did come back, and you were the police officer, you would rather just have a word with them and say, "Don't do that again," rather than smash the window, I suppose. But and the dog survived. Yeah. And the dog survived exactly. Because I think the police force do have to pay for it. I mean, we were having this conversation. I think. Um, uh, maybe if you're a member of the public, yeah, you don't have to. Pay yeah, for regardless it. of who does it, because the, the guy who did that definitely wouldn't be paying for it, no. and I, I wouldn't if I was the one mm. who did it. Um, you're so, still so not you the one in the wrong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're not the one. You in the should wrong be getting there. paid yeah. if anything, because it was almost thirty degrees that day. And I know we've had like a lot of hot days, but yeah, it was, I don't know it was pretty silly. The, I just people, don't, yeah, how I don't many times have you got to be told? How many times? I couldn't have seen any more signs and you know warning yeah. saying don't leave your dog in a hot car and yet some people are like yeah i know i've seen all those things but they're not for me that's yeah, fine but, but like why do you even need to be told yeah yeah, yeah. To, have, so to have one dog and you, you might forget you've got a dog i don't know <laughs> oh, that's three dogs yeah. in the car like how do you forget about three what were dogs? you what were you doing what yeah. were they doing and um, no the only note i've ever had left on my car was outside the office actually i was working a weekend i was parked outside and i parked a little bit too close to the car in front of me and someone Wrote left a note saying, "Why don't you leave me some more room space, you bleep head?" Actually, bleep, bleep, bleep head. head. It's probably okay. one of these things. I can't that, swear. I, it, I, I like to imagine podcast, it said literally <laughs> bleep, bleep head. head. Yeah, yeah, no, sadly it didn't. Sadly, <laughs> it was a disparaging phrase. And I was a bit annoyed by that. I was like, yeah, right. "You're a bit of a bleep head, don't you?" <laughs> <laughs> and now you see why I'm leaving. <laughs> um, Chris and I sit next to each other, so it's just relentless. This is this is what I get all day. <laughs> you could have just moved desks. Yeah, I could have moved it. Yeah, this is extreme. I am moving desks. I'm moving desks two hundred miles east. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, also, there's a grand there's a grand irony, and you write a news parking story, isn't there, Chris? Because you don't drive, no. so you can't you can't <laughs> empathise with these people. You, someone you're on the phone interview, and someone they go, you know, when you're parking, you go, no, I'm um, as impartial as I could possibly be. I think, which makes it good. Yeah. Have you ever had to write? a story about parking and you thought I don't know how to do that what how to park yeah <laughs> I mean I know how to park did you ever did you ever do a story where you were talking about a three point a three point like no what's, what's the word why would like, I be doing, parallel, why would parallel be parking like that? And hold you, on and you You're, thought, he's supposed to be the one struggling yeah, with the no, terminology sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's because I passed my test so long ago <laughs> um, and what do you think of parking stories generally as well like I know it's a bit of a daft question but they're they're kind of like the linchpin of local news aren't yeah, they? they're yeah. everywhere like, they're, they're pretty funny and they get people talking as well um, people get wound up as well don't they yeah people yeah really wound they, up. it is an issue here there's not enough the impression I get is there's not enough 
space for the amount of cars that <laughs> kind of frequent well. the city yeah, centre, yeah. you know what I mean? Apart from these like and really expensive private car parks. And not even just city centre either, you know, the amount of times that we've done stories about the fire service not being able to get to a fire because exactly, the, yeah, the roads yeah. are lined with, with cars. I was saying earlier about um, when the Salisbury spies were poisoned, the, the local newspaper, I think it's the Salisbury Journal, managed to get a, a parking story out of it. Because I think yeah. the the council had knocked the prices down of parking to try and get people back to the city yeah, centre. Yeah, yeah. So I just love that you've got this massive international spy intrigue scandal. This from like a Le Carre novel, and someone's gone. Yeah, what's the parking angle? On yeah, that? Yeah. Where can we get a parking story? Out of it? Yeah, because it infuriates people. It's like and and in Bristol, it's, it it does feel more and more spaces more and more places you can park are just being taken away or being used for resident parking instead, and now you have to pay. You know however much a year to be able to park there and then you don't even know if you can park there because it's on the side of the road it's one of the biggest reasons that i cycle everywhere as well it's literally a gamble to own a car in bristol in certain areas because you don't even know if you're going to be able to park sometimes you have to park half half an hour walk from your house It's, it's mental so it's no wonder that when people park irresponsibly or they just don't take you know they don't pay attention to the to the rules um or that new parking measures are being introduced here or there or whatever it's no wonder that people are they want to know what's going on because they're like well is this it is this the end of me owning a car in, in bristol Do you know, I, I the reason i cycle everywhere is because i i live sort of only three miles away and i could drive to work but it's the cost of parking is ridiculous i think the cheapest you can get it is like five pound a day which over the course of a year works it like and that's a not grand a big car park yeah and yeah. but the I, I've driven in a couple of times because I live in Western. I have a, a, a reason sometimes that I might need to drive in. And if I have to park, it's like, you know, the cheapest that I can park that's relatively close to work is, is around £10. It's between 10 and £15 a day. Yeah, if you park a in Gardner Haskins, it's 15 yeah. quid a day. And Gardner Haskins parks in there once because I was going down to Devon straight from work. So I parked in there, paid the 10, 15 quid or whatever it was. And then I lost my token. So I had to pay again. So I paid like 20 something could quid. You not, could you not get them to... No, because if you lose the token, there's a fee that you've got to pay. And it's the cost of it parking. Was, it was like another 10 quid, yeah. <laughs> Brutal. So I spent like almost 30 quid on parking for a day. That's mad. And yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it, I, there's no there's no surprise in my mind when when a, a parking story goes out and everyone's reading it. Yeah. It, one, of the, one of the really interesting ones was the pavement parking story that uh, our colleague Joe Smith did which was spikes that come up out of the ground wasn't it to prevent pavement parking yeah, yeah. and that went mental didn't it it went completely viral and yeah. everyone yeah. was reading it and that was funny because that was just kind of like a oh this might be an interesting story people might like this one and yeah. then it went mad because everyone was like yeah this is a really good idea we need to stop people parking on a pavement which I agree with yeah pavement yeah. parking is one of those things that it doesn't even divide opinion. Like universally people hate it, but then that makes you wonder then, who's actually doing it. Yeah, but then also it's, everyone's it's a, doing it. Yeah. But, the only yeah. thing that's tricky about it is like when you, when you need to make a decision, you need to have road markings to so that you can't park on, on the pavement or you need to widen the roads or you need to allow it because there are streets in Bristol that are commuter streets into, into the centre and if then there are no markings and if people were not parked on the pavement no one could drive down that road because it's too narrow so it, it's but it's not illegal for them to park they should be able to park there because it, that's that's a space so that's like something needs to be done to stop that so you either need to double yellow line the whole thing 
so that people aren't allowed to park there. And then you've got clear rules and clear boundaries. I've got an ambitious project that I'm working on, which is that we ban parking everywhere. You're not allowed to park. <laughs> and then what you have is for each sort of couple of thousand homes, you have a massive underground honeycomb style <laughs> Uh, underground park, car park everyone has to park their cars there and it's sort of like maybe like half a mile away from most people's homes and you have to walk down and you have to go and get your car from there and then you bring it up and the, the streets are completely clear of cars I think this is so genius. you're working on this are you? they're I'm doing that on this somewhat, now. it's like they're um, doing it in you know the you know the underground labs in Resident Evil it's like that but for car but they're parking. already doing it in um, I want to say Hong Kong or somewhere like that is that the kind of rotating ones where your car is like hanging you seen you, those? Before? You park into a space and then it just takes the. G- yeah, yeah, yeah. It was in Mission Impossible. Yeah, <laughs> one of the Mission Impossible. Been Impossibles. in like yeah. Fast and Furious as well, I'm sure. Yeah, like they they, they exist. Yeah, mine's be- my idea's I, slightly better. I just I just don't know if we've got the underground space in Bristol <laughs> with the underground and canals we're going to build and stuff. I think it's worth destabilizing the Earth's <laughs> core <laughs> in order to just build giant underground car parks. Okay. I'll get on it. See, this is why I'm leaving. No one believes yeah, in my stuff it, here. It, I, I understand. <laughs> okay. your, the, what, I'll get a shovel. <laughs> <laughs> the part of what you're saying that is actually true is that you're genuinely better off without a car. If And it's, it's up for debate, I suppose. But in the sense that I feel like you're genuinely better off without a car. I, my, like my girlfriend drives. She doesn't have a car here. Like We just walk everywhere. I um, I had a car for the first sort of six months that I lived here just to get around the rest of Bristol, not to work. Um, and it broke like a few months ago and I was like, okay, I'm going to get it fixed. And then I thought, actually, I use it so little in Bristol that Bristol is such a small city, you know, it's so easy to get from one side to the other that it's really not worth it at all. You're better Mm. off cycling and the bus can get quite expensive actually, but it's still probably a better option than paying for a car sat on the driveway that I was basically wasn't using. So I just stopped driving for the last six months that I've been here. Mm-hmm. And now I've got to start again because I'm going elsewhere where, you know, things are further apart and it's not as easy to get around. Bye but there bye. are there are reasons, more than more than one reason to own a car, have to own, have to own a car in the in the sense, I guess. Like, you know, if you've if you've got family yeah. that yeah. live close yeah. by or, you, or someone needs yeah, you need to care for somebody yeah. or you travel for work a lot or you know one of the conversations I see quite a lot of is trying to get everyone to stop driving basically. But my nan lives in Lockleys and there's not loads of amenities in Lockleys. So if she wants to do anything, she has to drive. You know, there's nothing within walking distance and a lot of stuff, say she's going shopping, she wouldn't be able to walk with, you know, fourteen bags of shopping anyway. So some people do have to drive, I think, and it's a case of trying to minimise the the problems with people that don't have to drive yeah. they choose to yeah they? yeah. I was talking yeah sorry to clarify more about like in the centre where I live what's the parking like from that you can see from your window what does that mean I'm just trying to figure out where you live <laughs> <laughs> well it's an RPZ like Matt said so it's one of these areas that would be really convenient if you wanted to just pop into Bristol for like a day of shopping or whatever but then you can't park there mm. <laughs> and they ch- they changed the weekend rules haven't they like a little while ago in loads of different places so that the RPZ lasts longer I think something like yeah that. a lot of places they end on the weekend don't they which yeah. is can be annoying because obviously if you're a resident that's my when you yeah. when you want to park you there. might yeah. go somewhere yeah, you might yeah. want to come yeah. back yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. I remember yeah. I remember when I lived in Hot Wells um, there they introduced uh, permits there Everyone was getting along fine with it, to be honest. It, like, you know, you, there was road parking and it was difficult to find a space. But all that happened when they introduced the permits is they were they only operated within certain hours. And if you drove to work, those hours were the hours you were at work and you didn't need a space. But if you were going to be there over the weekend or on your day off, you needed 
to yeah, be able to, to park. Space. When I was, I needed a car when I was at university, and obviously they didn't really let you or like you to have cars at university. So I had to park in the street, sort of miles away. And then on the weekend, I could park it near the university because the rest of the parking zone was was off for some reason. It just wasn't on, so it was really weird. I'm all for thinning it out, thinning out the crowd, and I'm sure there's a lot of unnecessary journeys that happens in, happen in cars that don't need to, that, you know. People that just drive to the shops to get mm. a Twix I think, I think or there whatever. Are just too many cars. Like, I think yeah. there are too many cars. I think I saw something the other day that said there's about three hundred thousand cars in Bristol out of yeah. what four hundred, five hundred thousand people. Mm. So there's almost every single person that's got a car. So that that's people who actually live in Bristol. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Wow. I was going to say it, it's like the biggest city in the southwest, really, isn't it? And a hell of a lot of people live in the southwest and yes. probably commute here to work. So and that, it's quite that's quite small. It's quite, I would say, it's a micro city as well. Yeah, you know, exactly, like to get from yeah. one side to the other, it's only like five miles or something. Like yeah, there's really only a few just... main roads through the centre that will just get choked. It never, in, I think Bristol never intended to get this big. No, they, no someone this they, popular. They, the Bristol's inventor is sat there like, oh, never intended for <laughs> this. Bristol's <laughs> inventor. <laughs> Right, we've been talking about parking for that. I know, it's a, it's, a, it's a loaded subject. It is a loaded yeah. subject. We could do it. Should we do another hour? The, par- <laughs> the parking cast. Yeah, let's do a whole new podcast. Oh, on, on You our actually car- could. I think it would have more listeners than yours. <laughs> no, that, no, that's that. He's just trying to pitch ideas. <laughs> yeah, until, just in case he doesn't until get Until Chris the starts job. hosting it, in which, in which case. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, thank you very much and enjoy hosting the podcast. If, if you get the drink, oh, he's got he's got oh, one. Is it he's next got week one. or the week after? Two weeks, I think. It's two weeks time because you're off next week. Okay. Now I'm back on Wednesday though. Isn't it? Was it not next week? No, week after. I think it was. Okay, you're away next week. I'm away. For, I'm yeah. away for two weeks. Always away. I'm away. I feel for, like we could do this admin off air. Yeah. Probably. No, no, no. Let's keep doing it now. <laughs> so what you got to do when you do the podcast is you come in. And then, <laughs> that was fine. Um, also, Chris is always on holiday, so it's quite hard to get him to do. Yeah. I am off to France tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so middle. Where class. are you going? Uh, I'm I'm going to Yorkshire. No, oh, no. Nice. Is that a Yorkshire accent? I've, I've never been there. So no, that's I'll, terrible. I'll come back in a week. Either time. Way, yeah, whatever one. accent it was, it was horrifically <laughs> bad. <laughs> I can't even do a Bristolian accent. Right, cheers, Chris, and see you soon. Thank you, Alex. Right, it's going to make me sound like a grumpy old man. The kind of letters to the editor kind of person, but I really love parking stories. I just, I think they're really good and they're like bread and butter of what we do. So thanks very much to Chris for talking us through some of his recent stories and talking us about the issue of parking. Right, let's jump into our next conversation, which is a complete change in tone, something really serious, but Beth and Evans, one of our content editors, and Michael Young have been writing about an Islamophobic incident that happened on a Bristol bus. Let's hear from them now. You both give us your names and job titles, please. Can you put your phone down, please, Johnny? Hi, I'm Michael Young. I'm an education and news reporter on Bristol Life. Hello, I'm Bethan Evans, and I am one of the content editors for Bristol Life. So to start things off, Beth, this is your first time on the show. I always like to kick off with like an awkward icebreaker question. Oh yeah. I was trying to think of what to ask, and. I was thinking of annoying habits in the newsroom. Oh is there anyone gosh. in the newsroom that's got a really annoying habit that you can think of? Young, you can get in on this as well. Annoying habits? Let me think. Because tea rounds. I always ask people about tea rounds on it. That's an annoying mm-hmm. habit for me when people don't do enough tea rounds. Yeah. What, one of my colleagues never makes tea. Uh, mm-hmm. That's how I get my exercise in the office constantly. I feel like tea. this is aimed at me. Oh, actually, I was <laughs> thinking about you, Matt. <laughs> Matt doesn't drink tea, so yes, fine, you're exempt. I say no to everything. That's. I that's think if you say no, that's fun. fine. It's when you accept, but yes. don't make. Someone on the news desk who will remain nameless always takes my tea. Never makes me one. I want to know, can we have names? I want to know who it is. Yes, Joseph. 
I'm right, going to bring this up yeah, when I go in. We'll get him on the podcast next week to answer for his, for his crimes. Good. Right of reply. <laughs> <laughs> it always ends up getting back to tea on this podcast. We spend a lot of time talking about tea on here. You got any annoying habits, Youngie, that you can think of? Yeah, if somebody don't eat biscuits, it's frustrating. Really? Uh, uh, if you bring in biscuits you. and then some people don't take biscuits, I'm like, these biscuits are for you. Eat them. But yeah. You didn't really? make them though. I mean, so your annoying habit is that you get annoyed when other people don't <laughs> buy the, eat the biscuits. <laughs> oh, no, actually, I'll, I'll tell, tell you, tell you something that really cool. annoys me is when, anyway, uh, it's when, um, you know, because I sit right at the end of, of a set of tables and everyone walks past me and it gets very noisy. Yeah. All right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I want another yeah, closer, corner, so you... closer to the noise elsewhere yeah. in the newsroom. Yeah, yes. that really. I tell you what, me. you do this. This really annoying. Unfairly, me. but yeah. what you do is you work too hard, and it really gets on my nerves. Yeah, you never leave. You never leave, and you're never off the phone. I remember I had to wait twenty minutes the other day because I was trying to go home, and I was trying to chat to you before I went home, and you're on the phone for twenty minutes. I've got stuff so I to left, do. I left, <laughs> half, left half an hour late. One time I was working a weekend shift, and I had started at seven. Yongi had come in at seven too. There was no one to do the late shift, and so he stayed until the late shift with me even though I told him I think it was 17 times to go home <laughs> part of the job isn't it it's not 9 to 5 no not when your boss is telling you to leave <laughs> it's, it's 9 to 5 when I'm doing it <laughs> um, so you guys have been working on a pretty massive story this last week yes. haven't you that has mm. sort of run on and on can you tell us a little bit about what the story was Yoni is it your story do you want to start yeah sure uh, it's uh, essentially um, a quite late uh, in the evening, one of the days last week, we got a call from a young Bristol mum who's also a Muslim and who was wearing a face veil and had got onto a first bus from Easton to Bristol. Uh, it was the bus number 24. And the bus driver, when she got on, asked her to take off her face veil. And uh, it was quite controversial because there's no comp- company policy for women to take off their face veils and uh, she did produce a second ID. After she got off, um, other women confronted the bus driver. The bus driver insisted he was right to do it because in his words, the world is a dangerous place and that it is not good for somebody to wear a face veil in this time. Um, Obviously, we put the story to first bus. First bus quite quickly after seeing the transcript decided to apologise uh, on behalf of the bus driver and and mentioned that he's been disciplined or censured and you know he's been given training and uh, the story went from there so we put the story up on the website the story then went everywhere so some of the nationals took it um, the BBC and ITV credit to them waited to speak with us first about it and uh, and they took it as well and the story went even further that weekend a hugely important story to bring up um and so it's important to note that this is not because of boris johnson so it's quite interesting that this happened as you know at the time that it Mm -hmm. did because it followed pretty hot on the heels of the former foreign secretary boris johnson Mm -hmm. making quite offensive and disparaging comments about women that wear veils and uh, niqabs and burqas didn't he and then there was a lot of conversation around whether it was freedom of speech or whether it was or whether he should have been allowed to say that, or whether it was offensive. And this happened basically straight afterwards, didn't it? Mm, yeah, it sort of coincided, but it was not planned or or it didn't come up because of what Boris Johnson said. Hate crime happens daily. 
sometimes we don't hear about it. Sometimes the police, most times the police don't get to hear about it. Sometimes it doesn't, most times it doesn't get investigated, sadly. But it happens. And people try to turn around and say, this is a one-off or this doesn't happen or this has got nothing to do with Boris. They would probably be wrong. Um, the idea about freedom of speech is, is um, I'm glad you brought that up because having your freedom of speech comes with responsibilities and duties. You're not allowed to just say whatever you want, whenever you want, even though it is offensive or hate. It's not right. And uh, it, it's not me that's saying it's not right. The law is saying is that not it's not right. So you can't just go around spewing racist or Islamophobic hate and think that that's your freedom of speech. It is not. It is hate. One of the daftest responses I saw to this story was someone tweeted saying, um, who decides what is and isn't hate speech? And I thought, well, it's the law, isn't it? It's literally the law that says that. Oh, well, yeah, exactly. Plus, the, some of the most interesting comments that have come up have been people saying, you know, people can say whatever they want, they're entitled to their opinions. And it's not about people being entitled to their opinions. Of course they are. But it's more about just having the human decency to treat people with respect. And this 20 year old mum was on the bus. And I thought one of the best parts of the story was that these complete strangers three women supported this woman and told her get off the bus we're going to help you deal with this and confronted the driver when they didn't have to but they stood up and supported her and I thought that was pretty impressive. So Beth you were the in charge basically when this story came in you when mm-hmm. you were running the news desk what was the first that you heard of the story then? So it was um, Michael telling me that he had got this information and he'd also got footage of the bus driver being abusive to her and to be honest the story didn't fully hit me until I read Michael's introduction and then watched the video as well because that is what really hit me. He was unrelenting. He just kept going and insisting he was right, even though these the mother had told him that she could wear what she wants and she felt very uncomfortable by the way he was talking to her. And these other three women who were stood up and saying, this isn't right, you can't tell a woman what to wear. But the fact that he kept going and going as some of our commenters on this story have kept going and going, insisting that they are right. And as Michael said, it is not about having that freedom of speech. It is about being decent to people. Did it hit you straight away then that this was going to be massive and was going to go everywhere? Was it one of the stories that you thought, this is really big? Yeah. As soon as I saw that video and um, I fully took in what, you know, the quotes that Michael had got from this young mum, how devastated she was that she was treated like that in a public place I thought yeah this is going to go big when you were reading through it then what did you have to keep an eye out for because I mean with basically every story that you will read through and publish there's a lot that you've got to keep an eye out for isn't there is there anything in particular with this one you were trying to keep an eye out for or what was sort of going through your mind as you were reading through it Um, obviously the subject of this woman's religion was in my mind and um by that I mean sometimes there are some stories on the Bristol Live website which we do not add comments to and that is sometimes for legal reasons sometimes for sensitive reasons if there's for example a sexual offences case a court case which is currently active but also stories which can uh, provoke a lot of vile comments um, against someone who does not deserve it and does not need that kind of 
attention, especially when they are a victim in this situation, which I fully view, this is my personal opinion, I fully view this woman as. I don't believe she deserved the comments that she got from this bus driver. So keeping an eye on that in the story, but also the balance of it as well. And I think this story was very balanced. And and credit to First Bus as well. They came forward and they apologised. They didn't try to make excuses or try to tone it down. They just held their hands up and said, we're sorry, this shouldn't have happened. And I think that balance in the story was put across very well. One of the conversations that we've uh, that's been floating around the office and that we've had since this story went out as well and at the time was mm. whether we should blur the face of the driver. I think yes. this I think this has split people even in the office pretty much down the middle, hasn't it really, yeah. about whether we should have, you know, kept his face I know, was, visible. Um, I was sort of 50-50 on this. Um, yeah, me too. I spoke to Beth about it. Um, some on news desks uh, were adamant that we should. Um, again, even when it came down to the editors, there was talk about whether we should or we should not. Should we name and shame? But on hindsight, and hindsight's a wonderful thing, I'm very glad we did. Because of the very simple reason that if what is the use of naming and shaming him, and what is the use of, say, sacking him? A lot of people said he should be sacked. I'm of the opinion that he should not be. If somebody was sacked on the back of what happened and they felt that Islam or for some reason played a part in their getting fired, it will not change their mentality. It does not make them a better person. But if you can make them understand that actually what you've done is wrong, is Islamophobic, and what you've done, you know, Hopefully you you will never do again and help him to understand that we live in a diverse and free and open world at the same time comes with his own duties and responsibilities. Um, it will make him a better person and he might never do it again. And actually he might change his worldview. And when you think about that, that's a far more powerful thing than just firing somebody and getting rid of them and saying, you're no longer my business. Um, so yeah, yeah I'm glad, I'm glad education, we did. Yeah. Really, yeah. yeah, I completely agree being 50-50. I was sort of torn as well when I was thinking about would I have personally blurred his face or not? Because the thing is, if you do blur his face, it seems a little bit like you're protecting him for something that yeah, he did yeah. that was clearly wrong. Mm. But then also on the flip side of that, when we put stories out now, there's no telling how far they're going to go, is there? You there know, isn't. You, could, you can go to, it could go to a couple of thousand people or it can go to hundreds of thousands of people and even millions in some cases, can't it? And you get a kind of mob mentality a lot of the time, mm, don't you, where mm. people will gang up on people. And if people know who he is, I mean, we don't want him to be attacked. And, and that would be our responsibility as well. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because um, a lot of people who, who took on the story um, a lot of the nationals who took on the story had different ways of telling that story that was different from how I told the story originally and there's not much we can do about it really or there's nothing we can do about it but it was very interesting that um, this mum is not looking for that publicity um, shortly after that story went live on our website all the nationals came in and took it the BBC and ITV ran it and that evening I had phone calls from literally around the world. I had phone calls from Denmark, Australia, America. We had the Washington Post. We had New York Times, Al Jazeera. They all wanted to run the story. And I rang the mum asking her, what are your thoughts on this? You know, ITV this morning wanted to have her on the show. And I said, and she said, look, I was just trying to raise awareness to it. I don't want any of this. And 
people offered money. People offered money for her to go on the show and she turned it down. She does not want that publicity. She just wants an apology. It, it, it was that simple. And when First Buzz apologised, she was satisfied with that. Did she explain why she had come forward to speak up as well? Because obviously this is quite an upsetting ordeal mm. for her as mm. well. And to put it out there in the world, it does add an extra level of pressure and scrutiny that people aren't necessarily expecting. Did she explain why she wanted to come forward? She did. She explained that she was a young Bristol mum. I have to emphasise on the fact that she's a Bristol mum. She lived in Bristol nearly all her life, right? She moved here when she was three or four, between three and four years old. And she's been here since then. She is as Bristolian as the next person living in Bristol. So people who tell her to go back to her own country. She's in her own country. She's in her home city. So it, she wanted to raise awareness to the fact that, it, you know, um, Muslim women who might come from Britain are still, you know, being abused Either it's racial abuse, Islamophobic abuse, xenophobic abuse. And really, when you think about xenophobic abuse, that's probably even worse because she's from this country. So she wanted to talk about it. She was also very, to be fair, upset that um, First Bus did not initially get back to her. She was obviously upset that nobody seemed to look into it. She was upset, and she told me this, that nobody seems to be covering it, which is probably not true. But she's upset and one just wanted to talk about it. So fair play to her. Call out racial hate when you see it. Call out Islamophobic hate when you see it. Call out any hate when you see it. I think that came across well in the story as well. She made a point of saying, I just don't want this to happen to other people. It wasn't about her, as Michael said, trying to get attention or playing the victim card even. It is more about other people. I don't want this to happen to anyone else. And Beth, how much do we rely on people like this, being this brave, you know, and coming forward and speaking about their their own experiences? They're basically essential to what we do, aren't they? Uh, they are. Um, being willing to talk so openly and frankly to our journalists, to complete strangers um is you know it's it's a great thing that they do trust us with us we have a team of fantastic journalists that are able to seek out those stories and sometimes talk to people and explain what putting this story out there could do could possibly help them but yeah people who are brave enough to open their hearts and tell them about tell complete strangers and you know the world in this case about an experience that really disturbed them and really upset them i mean take my hat off to this woman I don't know if I could do it what do you guys think about nationals taking the stories and national newspapers taking the stories and doing a different spin on them as well and international places in this and this circumstance as well I mean I feel like some of the coverage really kept to the point that this woman and Michael was trying to get across others wanted to sensationalize it mm. and I do understand that from the point of view in terms of the type of paper they are but I don't think it's then fair to these people who are as I said opening up and telling people about some horrific experiences they've been through um, I obviously have a lot of personal opinions about that but um, people know what I think about spin on stories and you know we get accused of it all the time but I mean I wrote an opinion piece on the back of this story and hopefully it showed people our way of thinking when we when we approach the story that it was not um it's not just a, a sort of moral thing there's actually so much more than that it's it's legal problems um but obviously moral problems as well so just making sure we carry that through the piece um, i remember writing a piece 
early Thursday morning. It was about one o'clock in the morning, early Thursday morning. And I kept thinking to myself, if I've handled it the right way, if I so I then came back on Thursday. I talked to Beth about it, and yeah. you know she was she spent a I lot saw of time talking in the notes. <laughs> <laughs> she spent a lot of time talking me talking about it with me, and I'm very grateful because you know they're very everyone's really really busy in the newsroom. So, um, but yeah, we went through the, the story and said, look, this is the angle we want. This is the tone we want. I think that's important. Every time we write a story, we think and put so much emphasis on that tone of the story. We don't always get it right. I'll be the first to say that. I don't always get it right. Hopefully sometimes we do. I think in this case, we got it right. I do. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> it, does, it really does sting as well, doesn't it? When you spend however long on the phone to someone mm. and you've really got a relationship with that person and you write the story and then you then see it somewhere else with something that mm. it just isn't the way the story happened. Yeah. I remember I did it with, I went to an inquest and a bloke had been crossing the road and he had been hit by a cyclist. It wasn't the cyclist's fault at all, mm. but the guy that had been walking out in the road had walked out from behind a car and he died. And I did a story, I went to the inquest and spoke to the family and things like that and then ended up seeing it somewhere else with a completely different spin on it from someone that pro- probably hadn't left the office, you know, from someone that had just seen yeah. what we'd done and gone, right, can you turn that around and make it a completely different story, basically? And uh, it, it hurts, doesn't it, when you see that? sometimes difficult for journalists to see because you think, oh, that's as a result of my work and that's not what I wanted to get across and it's not always fair at all. I mean, I see a lot of local journalists now on Twitter calling out nationals for doing that and... Fair play. I mean, I'm not sure I would necessarily do that, but I know a lot of my colleagues uh, across the, the country who work very, very hard, local journalists who work very, very hard to unearth a story, to find out all the details of it, all the facts of it. And then by the time it goes somewhere else, it turns into something else. Uh, I mean, my experience at the Bristol University deaths uh, were the same. And it really, really does, you know, it rankles, but... Some of them are just chasing for that impact, aren't they? But Mm -hmm. honestly, if you look at stories like Michael's, you don't need to do that. You don't need to change it. The the changes that were made in some of the nationals just didn't need to happen. It was already an extraordinarily powerful story. And to manipulate that, I think is unfair. Guys, thank you very much. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Those guys did an absolutely fantastic job of covering this story and pretty much every story that they touch as well ends up being absolutely brilliant. So thanks very much to them for coming to talk to us about that particular story. Right, another change in tone now. We're going to bring things up a bit. Let's talk about the Bristol Balloon Fiesta with our What's On reporter, Grace. My name's Grace Earl and I'm a What's On reporter for Bristol Live. So Grace, we're talking about Balloon Fiesta. We are indeed. One of the biggest and most iconic events in Bristol. I sound like I've just been reading the brochure, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> You've been reading all our advanced content about it, Alex. It's good to see. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, the thing is, it is one of the more complicated events that goes on in Bristol because you've got to try and figure out what's going on when, if it's going to happen. So it must be a bit of a nightmare for you guys to cover as well. You've got to <laughs> yeah, get your head around it's, it. it's certainly unique. It's um, very different to covering a more straightforward festival. It's unlike anything else that happens in Bristol or even sort of elsewhere in the country, really, because it's it's so dependent on the weather. Um, obviously, you hear about sort of music festivals, Glastonbury, for instance, being affected by the weather, but the 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 kicker with those is that they always go ahead pretty much unchanged. And for the balloon fiesta, if bad weather gets in the way like it did this year, that has huge ramifications. So 
this year because there was so much rain and so much wind only one of the seven mass balloon ascents which is where they all take off simultaneously um only one happened on saturday morning and saturday evening's night glow had to be changed quite significantly because it was unsafe for the um sort of balloon parts of the balloons that they're known as the envelopes for them it was unsafe for them to be inflated so they had to sort of get quite creative with it and do a fire show out of the baskets instead so it was um definitely a challenge both for organizers for the people that attended and for me covering it all weekend it was um hard work learned a lot it's typical in that that We've had a heat wave going on for about <laughs> two months and we haven't had a drop of rain for so long. And then all of a sudden, as soon as there's the one thing that it can yeah. rain or be a little bit windy for, we are both. I've got to say, I did feel pretty sorry for them. I was, yeah. I was, um, Wasn't it bad last year as well? No, not, was not okay. I think not a few went up. Extent. I think there was right. some bad weather because I remember writing about a, a Kept few. Getting postponed. Yeah. A few of the mass ascents were cancelled, I think, but it's, nowhere near as bad as this year. It's fairly common, I would say, for a handful of the mass ascents to be cancelled because what people don't often realise is that even if, um, like on Sunday evening, for instance, the weather seems quite calm on the ground and it's sort of sunny and there's there's not really that much wind at higher altitudes, the wind speeds are often quite different and they're often quite a bit stronger. So organisers have to base it on that because otherwise... Obviously, you're in a hot, hot air balloon. It's not going to be safe. There's not much you can do to try and change nah. courses there if you're, no. uh, if you're up in the wind. I suppose it, sometimes you don't realise that, do you, that it isn't anyone's fault that they're cancelled. It's just even a bit of wind can be too much, can it? And yeah. if you're low down, you might look out the window and think, oh, those trees aren't moving. It's fine. But And know. one one thing I will say as well is on social media over the course of the weekend, um, for the most part, people were extremely supportive of the fiesta and were really sympathetic because, as you, as you say, we've obviously had a summer where it's been absolutely glorious and this is probably the second weekend in about three months where it's, the weather's been bad. Um, so a lot of people were really understanding of that and recognised how unfortunate it was, but there were a handful of people who seemed to blame the fiesta for not being able to put as much entertainment on as they would have liked and I think what I'd like to, to say to those people is just have a bit of perspective. You wouldn't want to be in a hot air balloon if it's unsafe and you can't expect people to put their safety and the safety of other people at risk. It's totally unfair and it's the balloon fiesta doesn't control the weather, unfortunately. So as disappointing as it is for everyone, it's it's most disappointing for the people trying to put the show on. I also think it's quite a big part of the event as well. And it's one of the things that makes it special that you'd never really know when it's going to happen. It's not an event that, you know, just sort of is organised, goes off smoothly all the time. You've kind of got to be up early in the morning. You've got to be checking online, checking social media and stuff. Is that why they book to do several mass ascents? Because they're banking on the fact that uh, hopefully they'll get one. Well, the reason they sort of do two each day is because the times at which they do them, so they do the morning one at 6am and they do the evening one at 6pm, um, that's when, I don't, know, I don't know the technical details of it, but that's when, according to sort of ballooning rules, the weather is at its kindest and it's sort of best for going up in, in a hot air balloon. So it's quite common for sort of commercial hot air balloon flights to take off at that sort of time as well. Um, but yeah, as you say, by having sort of two on a day, it means that if, if one is cancelled, obviously weather condi- conditions can change a lot over the course of 12 hours. So 
if the morning one hasn't happened, then you might have a chance of the evening one happening as well. And like Alex says, it's it's definitely special. There's something to be enjoyed about getting up at the crack of dawn. And trust me, it is the crack of dawn <laughs> to go and see the morning ones. Um, and he, even if they don't lift off and they're still able to tether in the arena, it's still just an incredible spectacle seeing hot air balloons of all different shapes and sizes up close. It's really special. How many early starts did you get over the course of the, from Thursday to Sunday, isn't it? How many <laughs> early starts did you have? Um, so my my only early start was Friday, um, where I was meant to be actually be going up in a hot air balloon for sort of some Facebook coverage, but unfortunately that didn't happen. That's oh, even more cutting as well. Yeah, Not only there, so no I, got, I had to get up at half four in the morning and drive down from my house in North Bristol to Ashton Court and then, yeah, interviewing someone at quarter past six in the morning without having had a coffee was was quite interesting. can't remember if you've actually asked a question or if you've just been sort of stood there. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't, wasn't sure if I was sort of fully, fully with it or, or what. It was, yeah, quite an experience. Um, and then I just did really, really long days um, Thursday, even the Wednesday before it. Saturday and Sunday as well. So yeah, I'm exhausted this week. <laughs> what did your coverage include over the week course of the weekend then? So you went down to the event and were running around doing bits and bobs, were you? I was, yeah. Although the weather put a massive obstacle in that because there weren't as many people attending, unfortunately, as there have been in previous years. And we took the decision editorially that there was so much breaking news coming in terms of, of weather updates and on Saturday in particular when it was looking uncertain as to whether the night glow was going to happen. There were um, huge changes to the entertainment on both Saturday and Sunday during the day because of the weather. We felt it made more sense for me to be in the office over the weekends sort of getting stuff out online, letting readers know as soon as it happened because unfortunately on Saturday um, the fiesta kept people waiting for, for quite a long time and I understand why they did it. It was, you know, in case case conditions changed and they were able to put things on, but there were a lot of people coming to us directly, asking us for updates, asking on social media for updates. And so we felt it would be a better use of our resources for me to be in the office getting that information, speaking to the organisers directly and making sure we could get those updates out as quickly as possible. So we mainly fed that back through our live blog and then we had a lot of sort of what we call breakout stories over the course of the four days. And one of the things that can be a big nightmare for going to cover a massive event like this, like it's a huge event, isn't it? A lot of people there. Yeah. You can't just, you can't get a phone signal, can you? So no. if, you, if we send you over there, you know, yeah. if you're over there trying to send back updates, everyone's trying to get on the 4G and you just can't get any signal Well, at well all. precisely, that was the concern as well. And even if I'd have sort of taken my laptop down, the, um, the Wi-Fi has been a bit temperamental in previous years. But, you know, it, it, to say that that happens is is fair, but then there are times where it works well as well. Like my colleague Robin went out and did a Facebook Live of the, the Night Glow on Thursday, which was lovely and was really well engaged with. So, you know, it, when the weather's good and things are going well, it makes a lot more sense for us to be there. But then when there's a lot more hard news and things breaking, we need someone in the office de- dedicated solely to it. And that was, that was my role. I was one of those people that was sat on the sofa. I was kind of, I really <laughs> wanted to go. I really wanted yeah. to go, but I kept looking out the window and thinking, oh, I've got to, cause I had to cycle over there. Cause obviously yep. it's a nightmare getting there, isn't it? And I thought, oh, I'm just not going to bother. And I'm kind of, part of me is glad that I didn't go because I wouldn't have 
there wasn't much that I was missing out on anyway. No, exactly. But then also at the same time, I think, oh, it's such a massive event and I'm leaving Bristol soon. So, you know, it'd be the last time that I'll see it for a while, I imagine. Oh, so, of course, yeah. Yeah, and it's always, I mean, um, Yongi, who we've got on the show this week as well, he says it's his favourite, one of his favourite things about Bristol. Oh, and he's, be, just, yeah. he's just there all the time. He was, I was there for work on the Friday morning and I turned around and he was just there enjoying the spectacle. <laughs> but that shows what it means to, to people in Bristol. People don't think anything of it getting up that early, whereas you know on any other weekend you say to someone oh do you fancy getting up at half four and going to Ashton Court to look at some balloons yeah yeah. <laughs> people would just laugh laugh and, and take the mickey out of you but when it's balloon fiesta weekend any rules about covering events normally or how to manage festivals normally seem to seem to go out the window yeah up at four back to bed at about 12 by the yeah. time you get out yeah, after the that's night what I did. Yeah. <laughs> did you make it over Matt? I didn't no uh, I was Again, I was thinking about going, but then as the weather started being a bit temperamental, I am a terrible person to be around in the rain. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> or the wind. I, I don't like the wind. Wind is. You're a fair is, weather person. I, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, but I don't like I'm I'm extremely British. I don't like it hot, though. Really? I don't like it cold. I don't like it. I just don't <laughs> I just like don't it. Like weather. <laughs> weather is so <laughs> no. I, I I thought like the weather was it seemed like it was you know hit and miss, and I I, yeah. I just thought if I was going to go, I'm going to be around hit next year. Uh, I'll hopefully you know get to see it when when it's all in sunny its glory. Yeah. in its glory. Yeah. yeah. The um, I think the organisers were starting to sort of get that vibe from people as well, weren't they? Because they sent out a tweet saying, please come down and support the festival anyway. Because there's still loads going on, isn't there? Even without the balloons, it's still... There is, yeah. And one of the things I was sort of keen to stress is that there's a there's entertainment and things going on outside of the arena. It's just the stuff that happens in the arena that is weather dependent. And unfortunately, that is, that is the main bulk. And that is why people especially families all go down and see it but the feedback I've had from covering it all weekend is that those people who did make the trip they still had a really really lovely time even though it was it was different and it wasn't quite what was billed in a lot of aspects but you've got to applaud the organisers for reacting and thinking especially on Saturday with the night glow when it was we I remember talking to my colleagues in the office saying you know this this is going to be cancelled this is going to be it must, be, be it must be yeah. so stressful to organise. Mm. Yeah, it's well, I, I spoke to the organisers um, in the days before the fiesta and I went, went down there for a sort of behind the scenes look and they, they start planning next year's event roughly two weeks after the current one ends. So there's no real let up from it. It's a real year-long process for an event that like only lasts four and days. Sorts, yeah, 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 and... and you obviously, as we've as we've discussed, it's so dependent on the weather, and there's just there's only so many contingency plans you can make. So they did a good job at thinking on their feet and managing to pull some of it back. They did well. It's the same for the balloonists as well, I guess, isn't it? Because you know, having a balloon is a massive operation by the looks of it. You need yeah. a couple of people. You need a massive trailer. You've got to have people driving around yeah, after it when it takes big. off and stuff. So it must be disappointing for them as well when they're all you know probably the highlight of the year for them, and when they can't get up, it's a bit, a bit of a shame. It was, yeah, but. I think they're a bit more used to it than they would ever let on. And they did get to go up on Saturday morning, which was lovely. So I think a lot of them enjoyed that. And to their credit, a lot of them knew that Sunday in particular was a disappointing day because the weather was just so grim all day long. They um, decided to think, right, no, let's let's give people a bit of a show. And they did try and tether a load of balloons in the arena on Sunday afternoon 
even though sort of organisers had said, oh, it's too windy. They they thought no, we're gonna we're gonna give it a go, and and see what happens. So how did they decide if it's too windy or if the weather's too bad as well? Because there's a bit of a process behind it, isn't there? Yeah, so I don't know the exact ins and outs of it because I'm not a meteorologist, but they generally make the decision as close to the scheduled mass ascent time as possible. Um, there will be some. Some days, like Sunday, for instance, they announced it a couple of hours before because it was just so clear from the rain and the forecast for the rest of the day that it, it just wasn't going to happen. Um, but generally, they'll they'll make the announcement until the last minute. They've got a dedicated weather team on site who are just studying conditions, studying wind speeds, wind direction, how sort of strong the winds are further up, what chance of rain there is if there's any rain in the next few hours sort of forecast and how that affects the decision so yeah it's certainly not a case of just looking at the Met Office app on their phones and thinking nah I don't fancy it that's exactly what I did yeah. <laughs> I looked at the Met Office like, oh, I, can't, I don't fancy it um, is there some sort of committee that make the decision as well is it like a vote system or is there a committee that make the decision um, as far as I'm aware it, it's it's off the guidance of the, the weather team and it, when the decision is made as to whether flying is successful or not, if they if they give it the the go ahead and conditions aren't aren't like optimum, um, I think it's at the balloonist's discretion. So they have to feel safe that they can fly their balloon in in that weather. But the main overall decision about whether anyone's going to be permitted to take off or not, that's sort of done by the weather team and the fiestas management. It was a big year this year as well, wasn't it? Because it was the 40th anniversary of the event, which yeah, is a massive anniversary. which is anniversary. an absolute kicker because I know they worked really, really hard to try and make it make it a spectacle, make it memorable. They had so many lovely special shaped balloons this year. So they had a lot of like old favourites from the past um, and they had some really cool new shapes this year, like the um, the superbike and the dog, I think, was Some were brilliant pictures favorites. of the superbike yeah. right in there coming over yeah. the suspension bridge, right? Like it was riding off the top I of it. I know, it was that brilliant. picture was incredible. Um so they really wanted to to kind of make it special and give people something to look at, but weather got in the way. I don't want to be the the doom bringer again either, but um, <laughs> we're getting to the end of the sort of summer season of events now, isn't it? But is there anything lined up that we're really looking forward to in Bristol? Yeah, so we've got the Downs Festival now coming up um, on the 1st of September, which is going to be a really fun day of live music. So for me and the What's On team, it'll be sort of having a few days to de-stress from ballooning and then turning our attention to that again. So yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. That'll be really good. Grace, thanks for joining us. That's all right, no worries. Really gutted that this year's uh, Balloon Fiesta didn't see its full potential. We didn't get as many mass ascents. I mean, we did get one. Well, we got one mass ascent. And a really good picture of a hot air balloon motorbike on top of the suspension bridge. That looks, it's a fantastic picture. If you haven't seen it, you should go to Bristol.live, where we work. That is where we work. <laughs> I'm glad you were, uh, glad you, well, I mean, not, you not where for much I longer. Work for another couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right. That's the end of the week, this week's episode. Thank is you it? very much is for that listening. That is the end. Should we try and extend it? So, you know, this is my I, last I don't show. want it to end. I I'm like, please. <laughs> but before we go, don't forget, you can follow us on uh, Twitter. I forgot what it was called then. I was going to say MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter at IBL Podcast. You can also rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. It doesn't have to be Apple. You might be an Android user. Yeah. Overcast is a good one. That's, uh, yeah. that's what I use. You know, I've been considering using something different. Overcast is a great shout. Get that if you yeah, or Stitcher or 
Uh, bunch of other ones. Bunch of MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> We're not on MySpace. We should be. Matt, we why didn't you get us on be. MySpace? Uh, I've, an, a, another failure in my life. I love MySpace. I invested a lot of time in MySpace HTML when I was. A, I used. A, a I used to get email. paid to make people's profiles. Did you? Yeah, bands' that profiles. Was my dream job. And then I was like an expert. You know, ten thousand hours and all that. And then. The website just disappeared. Yeah, it's just off the face of the, the earth. And then everyone, Facebook's just ready-made. You haven't got to do anything to it. And the other thing is, is about, about MySpace is when you go to it now, uh, I just don't even recognise it yeah. anymore. I can't even log in. I think they deleted my account. Yeah, they've deleted it, but it's still there. I had a good hundred followers. Friends, I did have fun. you call them. I did have fun the other day. I went to it and then I found like people that used to be friends with me and then I looked at all of their friends on the profile and I was like oh that thing just going through all the old pictures you used to order so your good. friends as well you used to have like a top friend and yeah, you'd and order it like you, top 10 yeah. savage and people would get like really offended if yeah. they're not either in the top 10 or number one absolutely or, brutal yeah. absolutely brutal I love that you would you would um, define your level of friendship with someone based on uh, where you sat in their top 10 friends on MySpace it's like I can't I can't go to his birthday because I'm only number eight. There's <laughs> <laughs> only seven spaces. Yeah. Uh, so this has been Inside MySpace Live. <laughs> right. Uh, before we go, I just want to say thank you to everyone that's listened to the podcast. I've really enjoyed doing it and I am, I'm gutted that I'm not going to be able to anymore. It's a bit of a highlight of my week. It's really fun getting the guys in to talk to them. Um, so thanks to everyone that's listened. Well, you get to be us. a listener now. I get to be a listener and it's just going to go downhill. I think I can see the future of it. It's gonna, it's gonna. I'm gonna be. Like you an have angry, got such a high opinion of yourself. I'm gonna be like an angry, you know, BBC viewer. This like used to be better when. Can the you old write us hate it. mail? Yeah, please. I will. I will. I mean, I'd be, I'm, yeah, I'm bring back the old guy. Yeah. Set up a fake Twitter account. I don't like the new host. <laughs> Changing for the old guy. Yeah. But yeah, sadly I can't do it anymore because I'm leaving Bristol and it's a bit of a commute. Well, I'm thinking of getting an impressionist in, oh. uh, someone that can do your voice yeah. perfectly. That's good. Yeah. Or can you use artificial intelligence to put in all of the episodes we've currently done and then get it to spew out like a Siri version of me that will just say everything? I will, I will get straight onto Apple about that. I reckon I should do it. <laughs> I should be the new Siri. I, don't, I think that's a bad idea for everyone. <laughs> a lot of royalties for me as well. And also, I want to thank you, Matt, as well. Uh, thank for, you. I mean, I'm not entirely being sure what you've been doing. For it's the last been tolerable. It's been just barely tolerable. <laughs> but you have, from starting off when you had to force me to do everything a thousand times over because I wasn't very good, yeah. to editing. We're, we're down to 500 times. Down to 500 now. times yeah. And having to edit my annoying voice and listening to it constantly. Yeah. I bet you're going to have to listen to the podcast back to get your fill of kind of Every week, to yeah. wean you off. You I'm going to re edit the old podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you very much for all your help as well. So thank you for listening, guys. And I don't know. I won't say see you soon, but goodbye. Oh, bye. That's a really. That was Bleak a ended. I know. Bye, guys. <laughs> we should do a Sopranos and just cut. Yeah. Yeah. Mid. 